Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard and that was the unmistakable sound of Marty Wilde and Endless Sleep because uh, Marty has uh, a brilliant box set out now on uh, Che Red RPM, A Lifetime in Music, 1957 to 2019. Welcome, Marty. Hi, thank you. Thank you. I think this is potentially unique in your career in because it not only is it does it capture the key singles that you made that you know many people will be familiar with, but there's a lot of uh, unreleased material in the set as well. Well, it's a lifetime, really. I mean, it's it, it's a very it's interesting when I've listened to it myself. Fascinating in a way to see where I came from and where I ended up, particularly in with the the songwriting side. How that sort of gradually kept on. I didn't never realise that I'd written even earlier on like that so much. Mm. I was writing quite a lot more than I ever thought or realized. And obviously I was writing and obviously I, it was going to be a part of my life. I didn't realize when I first started to write that it would be such a big, uh, big part of my life uh, because I just used to write uh, really just, you know, um, when I got time and the other things always got in the way. So, and I was a lazy writer in many ways. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, what comes through is, I think is, um, that I, I had staying power and that I, I mean, I love music so much. That's what's kept me going. 
Um, but I, I've had mm. staying power and I've always I wanted to write songs and be there. And that, that's what comes across for me. Because, uh, and also, there, were, there was so much material there um, and different styles and, and everything. So I'm very proud of it. Mm. And obviously, as, as you're kind of indicating that being able to write your own material has enabled you to sort of carry on successfully in, in the music industry for so long. Yeah, I think, but it was twofold, really. I mean, I was writing for myself, uh, but I was not always the, in the best position to be in the charts because I wasn't, you know, ultra popular or whatever. Um, like Tomorrow's Clown, I think, should, would have been a bigger hit with someone else that, if um, Roy Orbison had done it or someone, maybe not Orbison, but mm. someone else had done that song at that point. But at that, at that particular point in time, uh, my career wasn't at its height. So, yeah. uh, you know, whenever I've written um, songs, I've always been maybe a slight disadvantage. That's why it really, my writing did shine when I, I finally could, could uh, you know, have someone else record my songs mm. and they were, then they were having hits with them. Um, you know, they kind of worked out in the end. But initially, um, I think there are, there are several songs there. And I think also on, in, the, in this box set, there were songs there that could have been hits for someone else if they if they yes. only slowly heard them. Um, hmm. Just uh, that comes across as well. Hmm. But let me take you back to uh, you know your, your your first hit, which obviously f- features on on the first disc of the set, uh, "Endless Sleep," a really great track originally <laughs> by Jody Reynolds. But your version has got that that, that you know authentic energy. How was that track chosen? Was it something that uh, Larry Larry Pan suggested, or was it y- yourself? No, Larry had no part in my recording career ah. uh, because he's he he didn't that wasn't his forte that wasn't right. his strength. Um, so no, that that came from America. Johnny Franz had heard it, and, and it was it, obviously it was a hit in America. So anything that was going to be rock and roll that was a hit in America would be if they could get their hands on it would be passed on to me. So. Um, it, it was passed to me, and, and uh, it was it was ideal for me. It was a kind of a vocal style that I wanted. It was attacking. It was dramatic. It was a story. All the things I love in a song. Mm. The style that you recorded in it did have that energy. Unlike you know some artists that were in in that time that arguably were doing pale imitations of of US material. Was it just because you had uh, great musicians working with you who could get that energy across? No, well, no, I don't think I don't think it was that. I think it was just mm. it was just. Uh, I mean, you need to have a hit record. You need luck. I mean, let's be fair and and, and honest. Uh, it just it was the right song for me. And I mean, I I always wanted to be like an Elvis. I, I yeah. you know, I adored Elvis. I thought that, and still think that he was uh, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But when <laughs> it was this, it wasn't only the same for me. It was the same for Cliff and and for other mm. people that. That, that loved Elvis, we ended up being ourselves, whether we realised it or not. Hmm. Endless Sleep was, was pure me. That was pure, although I probably, I would love to have sung it like Elvis if I could. <laughs> but I, hmm. I ended up singing it like uh, Marty Wilde. <laughs> yeah. This set also includes the best part of a disc of uh, Radio Luxembourg material, and I want to play your version of Donna, which obviously was you know a big hit for you. Was that sort of session material for Radio Luxembourg? Yeah, it was all, it was uh, obviously, it, it was a hit at the time. So uh, mm. it was just, yeah, it was just, 
that we just picked all tracks and obviously you would have to do uh, some of your hits for a radio program like that so we did them um but there was so much of that of uh, that radio luxembourg I've, I've forgotten all about it to be honest with you um so it, it, it all those songs come up as a bit of a surprise for me <laughs> One, two, period with the hits like uh, End of Sleep, Donna and, and even more which we'll be covering shortly, you became a massive star and you know you, you've spoken before about getting mobbed and what was that like being in the sort of almost the eye of the hurricane? Well I mean it, yeah yeah it was it was it was a, certainly an interesting experience it was it was a strange thing for me because I'd always wanted to be a pop star ever since I was around about 13 or 14 and for me, when I came in the industry, it was just like as though it was meant to happen. And I I can't say I took it for granted. I wouldn't have said that. But mm. it seemed to be a natural part of my evolution as a person and, and as a, a musician or as a, as a singer. Um, so it, it was a natural thing. It, it, and, and although it was, yeah, I was in the eye of the hurricane, but it it didn't seem like that to me. It just seemed to me mm. like a like a job. It was what I was meant to do. It was though it, as though it was the the whole thing had been written out before I'd even done it. Yeah, yeah. And the next track is a, a teenager in love, and, and and you recorded. I think what there was a, a number of uh, versions competing in the charts at the time, um, but I think you had the, the the biggest hit with that. Yeah, I had the biggest hit. If the others hadn't have done it, I would have had number one. But um, I mean, I'm just glad that I, I mean, I was, I was lucky to have a hit with it because it was a cover, you know, Dion had done the original and did it very well. But mm. again, you know, I, I don't know, I can't explain, I can't explain my own voice, but it just seemed to suit my voice. It just seemed to suit my style. 
you know, it, it's a, it's a strange thing, really. But it's um, it, it was a, a a very commercial song. It, it it's one of those songs that come along once in a lifetime, literally, mm. because some, they're not always the best songs either. Some of these songs that were the the huge uh, huge hits, they weren't necessarily the best songs. But for whatever reason, the public love them, and that's something you. It's got. They have the X factor. Put it that way. And teenagers and lovers got the X factor. People love it from all ages, all groups, and they still do. Which is, after all this time, is um, you know, it's a rather strange thing, really. Mm. So you were working with Johnny Franz, and in the, the Wildcats band, you had great musicians like Big Jim Sullivan and Brian Bennett. I mean, it's a real uh, t- yeah, uh, a whole load of uh, you know incredible talent around you. Yeah, I mean, I handpicked them myself anyway, so. Part of that was was you know it was it was me that that formed ah. the band because I I'd um, I'd heard uh, Brian Bennett play when he was playing for other people and I, I thought he would be great for me uh, as a drummer and um, he was and and the same with Big Jim Sullivan Big Jim Sullivan came along to an for an audition in an old oily t-shirt if I remember rightly looking quite scruffy but what he when he way his fingers worked. That was the important thing. And I thought, yeah, you'll do for me. I've always picked my own musicians and I've always been fairly accurate mm. in, in predicting whether they're going to be good or whether they're not going to be good. And I knew Big Jim and I knew Brian Bennett and Licorice Locking, of course, yeah. on bass. Mm. Um, you know, I knew these guys would, uh, would, would be good.
for many people, your version of Sea of Love is is the definitive one. I don't know if this is true, so you'll be able to correct me. I've, I've read that Joe Meek had some role in the production process. No, not at all, no. No, so we can no, correct no. that. No, no. In fact, it worked the other way. I gave Joe Meek a hit. <laughs> I gave him a hit <laughs> for... Uh, uh, I gave him a hit, Angela Jones, for Michael Cox. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, no, no, he never... No. I, I, the only time I ever met Joe Meek was to give him a, a, um, a record for Michael Cox. And they did, and they they had a hit with it as well, Angela Jones. Yeah. But no, but I mean, Joe, don't get me wrong, great admirer of Joe Mick's work. So mm. he was a great, brilliant producer, mm. ahead of his time, actually. Mm. And something we, we haven't mentioned is you were regular on television shows at the period, 6 5 Special, Oh Boy, sure. and Boy Meets Girls. Yeah, 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 I was, yeah. Um, I had a lot of um, phenomenal coverage, really. I mean, I was on every week. It was a bit like, the, you know, those stars that are on. Anyone that has that kind of mass saturation on TV uh, must stand a chance of, of doing well. Um, so I was, you know, I was, uh, I was in the right spot of the right, you know, the right shows. And so that combined with a good song and you, you can't really fail. So Sea of Love was a great song. So um, that plus my TV, you know, work obviously made it a big hit. this at the start it did kind of seep into 
you know, in terms of the singles you released, um, "Bad Boy" was one of the first uh, songs that you actually wrote that was a that was a hit. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the song that really changed my life in many ways mm. because deep down I realised I could do it. I could actually write a hit song, and I think a lot of people who start writing songs or are writing songs uh, are not quite sure, like I wasn't at the point. At that point, then, as the song came out and it, it became a hit, I suddenly realised I could do it. And, of course, that played a part later on in Kim's career mm. and in my, in my career as well later mm. on. Uh, so I wrote for other people. Mm. And, you know, so that, that, that kind of, the confidence stems directly from that, that early first hit, Bad Boy. Not only was it a hit over here in the UK, it was actually a hit in, in the US, which... Did you know that at the time, that it was actually, you know, getting into the charts over there? That must have been quite a feeling. Yeah, yeah, I heard it was. I mean, I, I think Robin Luke covered it in America, which was unusual. Mm. When the Americans start covering our stuff, we were always covering theirs. But uh, no, Robin Luke had, had a bigger hit with it, I think. Um, I did go to America to, you know, to promote it. But, much, yeah. you know, much later on in the day, it was a bit too late by the time I went over and I was, I, I mean, I was too busy working here to go to America. But and by the time I went there, uh, Bad Boy, I think, it was coming down the charts. Maybe not so much up the charts, but it was, um, it was a great start anyway. Uh, with you know, for me to to have a hit in America. One 
track that was quite a big hit was um, Jezebel. I think that was that 1962. But I think you've you've said how much of a, an influence Frankie Lane was on you. Yeah, Frankie Lane was uh, out of all those early singers was the one that I I followed. Uh, I just naturally liked his delivery, and Frankie Lane was like me. And <clears throat> I've said it many times. You know, I love story songs. Yeah. I, I love to, I love to write story songs as well. Things that have got to, instead of just you know love and, and moon and June and all that sort of stuff. So Frankie always loved. He was great at telling, you know, singing about stories, the girl in the wood or Jezebel or, you know, that kind of thing. He he was great at. Mm. And um, Blowing Wild was another great track they recorded. So, yeah, I heard the Everly Brothers make a, they made a record called Temptation. And um, it had a, it had that Peter Gunn riff, babble, 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 babble. And I thought that would suit Jezebel. And that, that's when I came up with the arrangement. So... That was how that started. But I played a big part in the arrangement of that. Yeah, some really great orchestration that, that added to the, the atmosphere of that. Yeah, there was. I mean, I was uh, had a stage version of it before I actually recorded it. Um, but, yeah, it, it worked. Um, the arrangement really, it was very powerful, a powerful sort of a record. And again, if I, my career would have been in a different position, it would have been much higher on the charts.
shift by the mid sixties. You formed a, a trio with your wife Joyce, but yeah. the then unknown Justin Haywood, uh, later of the Moody, Moody Blues. How, how did you uh, connect with Justin? I mean, what a great again. You talked about being able to spot talent and get the right people around you. You know, someone like Justin. That's quite an incredible find. Well, we we had a. Um, um, I was looking. I wanted to form a trio with my wife and Joyce and uh, one other. And so we held auditions in, in South London in Blackheath. And Justin was one of the people that came. But initially on, on that, it's the one time um, I, I didn't pick. I, I, uh, my wife, um, he was, Justin was in the last, the last two people that I, I thought w- would be good for the job. But I might have picked the other guy had it not been for Joyce. Joyce felt that that uh, Justin would be the right person. And, of course, her judgment was absolutely correct. Mm. And, of course, he went on to be um, a what he is, you know. Mm. So that was uh, – it was. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that he, 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 he attained what he wanted to do. And we're playing an alternative version of uh, Since You've Gone from a yeah. disc of, uh, you know, some unissued material there. You, were you writing under a pseudonym in that period? Yeah, I used to do that because um, I found, and I was right, I think, in my instincts, that if I'd have gone under the name of Marty Wilde, then a lot of the, uh, the, the material would not have been uh, as uh, maybe as big as it was because mm. it would be a bit like, um, oh, I don't know, Simon Cowell having his name on a song and you think, oh, it's a bit of a fiddle, there's something wrong here. Mm. It doesn't work. You know, Simon Cowell is not a songwriter, he's, he's more known as a man who can see talent and pick talent. So if his name was on a song, you think, nah, I don't fancy that. That's not right. Something's wrong. And so I, I thought if I went under another name, and I think I was right in many ways. continued writing under an, a, a pseudonym that to me seems to be a you know incredible period of creativity for you and and, and a successful uh, period chart wise for you with tracks like Abergavenny which were I think hit, uh, that was a hit across Europe I recall 
Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was. It wasn't a, um, a disc hit, but it was a turntable hit in America. It got thousands and thousands of plays because America has a place which I didn't know. They have a place also which is named after the, the Welsh uh, town. Ah. Um, so that Abergavenny is an Abergavenny in America. So it was, um, mm. you know, that that's what what helped it. But yeah, I used to. I was. I was. As I say, I was. Very happy to, to, mind you, I recorded that under my name. So, no, I didn't even do that in America. In America, I was Shannon. Uh-huh. Uh, and, but over here, I was Marty Wilde. So, I was just, yeah. uh, I used to like going under another name anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's that, um, you know, fantastic album that you recorded, Diversions, which I think it was was featured on, you know, which has a, a great range of, of your material and is, um, you know, a bit, bit, of a, bit of a classic now. It, well, yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 again, it was um, I've just another album which is self-penned, which I think is is um, is, is an interesting album, which won't come out till September. But yeah, it was it was like diversions. It, it, diversions was a uh, nearly all self-penned stuff, and a, a lot of it I was with uh, with Ronnie Scott, who I was writing with, and we'd had hits with Jasmine and uh, and Abergavenny, so it was natural that. Mm. A lot of that material would be would, would be with Ronnie, and uh, it was a good partner, great partnership. Taking a trip up to Abergavenny, hoping the weather is fine. If you should see a red dog running free, well, you know he's mine. In the hills up to Abergavenny I've got to get there and fast If you can't go then I promise to show you a photograph
you mentioned Jessamine, and uh, I'm playing the the demo of that. I think that was recorded around the, uh, 1968, and you worked with that with Ronnie Scott. Um, was that a track that you released first under your own name, and the the Casuals just independently did their own versions, or was it uh, submitted as a as a song to to uh, record? No, it was submitted. To, we 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 had a group called the Bystanders, who were a wonderful Welsh group. Oh yeah, they became um, Man. Yeah. Um, and they they um, they they recorded it first. Do you know what I mean? And they did a beautiful version of it. It really was, but yeah. it wasn't the right. It wasn't the commercial one. No, the Casuals were the were the boys who had the the arrangement. But the original was beautiful. It was a, a very different style of Jasmine, but it was beautiful. What am I supposed to do with a girl? contributed a, a number of tracks for for status quo in in, in, a, in a similar time period i think there was uh 
three or four tracks from their debut album. One of one of those being uh, "Ice in the Sun," which was a big hit for them. Yeah, yeah, we, um, yeah. That was the song that Ronnie and I wrote. Yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, they had a couple of songs from us, so and I'm happy that they had success with it. You were writing in a range of uh, styles, um, even songs like uh, Paradise Flat. It's just very sort of inventive. Were you taking inspiration from other groups or music in that period? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it was a very, it was a very creative, inventive period. I think, mm. by and large, for most songwriters and 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 arrangers and musicians, um, the Beatles really were leading the way. You know, they were. They were ahead of the pack, and I think they inspired people. Uh, and also Paul Simon. Paul Simon has started to come through, and who I love, and, uh, and the Beatles, of course. And um, I think that combination for me, were, were they were my biggest inspiration um, between, mm. between the Beatles and, and Paul Simon. Uh, there was so much inspiration there. And it, it shines through in some of those, those records that I, I, was, I was writing or co-writing at that time. the early 70s you you started a, a partnership with uh, Peter Shelley yeah it was yeah it was uh, well uh, at least we got one hit we had um, um love me love my dog which was a big big hit um yeah it was uh, I and mean, we had a lot of fun making those records I can assure you um we just used to spend hours in studios like indulging in our fa- in musical fantasies it was a hmm. it was a great time uh, for me to, and it was it was very t- a lot of the music nearly all of it was very tongue-in-cheek um yeah. but 
we had, uh, and also we had another track, uh, I Am an Astronaut, which mm. Ricky Wilde, uh, my son, uh, cut, which was a hit in Sweden. So, yeah, it, we had a couple of hits, uh, Peter and I. Also kind of 
playing around with the, the sounds of the time. You know, there's, there's, there's a track released under the Cold Fly pseudonym, uh, Caterpillar, which has very much got that sort of T-Rex sound of, of, of the period. Yeah, it was it was written for T-Rex, really. Um, it was that style of singer. Um, uh, I mean, and that's the style of singer who should really have cut it. Mm. Uh, but I, 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 th- I thought the song was, um, at that point, was a very commercial song. But yeah, it was it, it was great to be part of it. Am I right that that Peter Shelley was kind of marking you out for his Alvin Stardust uh, project? Uh well, yeah, at the time it was, but I I just said that um uh, you know I I couldn't be an Alvin Stardust. I couldn't because I was I was Marty Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and I'm glad I I'm glad I kept my. Uh, I kept my myself my name, and I'm glad I kept my sanity as well. <laughs> yeah, so it went it went to but the original Bernard Jury, who was Shane Fenton. Yeah, I mean, and good luck, good luck to Shane. You know, yeah, um, you know, he's not not here anymore. But yeah, I mean, I I, I couldn't have been a I wasn't an Alvin Stardust. It wouldn't have worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was too old anyway. I think. <laughs> <laughs>
and uh, you mentioned this before, and it does link in with your songwriting and and so, so many hits. And I I don't think uh, you know the public really appreciate the work that you did in the eighties with Kim, as well as uh, you know Ricky, who was was part of that. One of the first hits was uh, Kids in America, but was it the link up with Mickey Mouse that that set all that in train? Uh, yeah, by and large it was, as as I've been writing all those years. But then my uh, Ricky came up with one particular song, uh, which was a, a song called Falling Out. And I thought it was fair. I still do. I think it was a great hit song, a great pop song. Mm. And, um, and, and, and I thought, well, we, we, why, not, why not us write together? You know, and we did, and that was it. And the very first song that we ever wrote together was, was Kids in America.
across the next decade, you continued to to write tracks with Ricky that were massive hits for Kim. Yeah. Tracks like Cambodia. There's a lot of songs with for me kind of that work on a number of levels. They they could be pop tracks. They've some of them got a rock edge. They lyrically they work on a, a number of levels. Yeah, they were uh, again. I, I mean, Cambodia was was um, was a, one of the better lyrics that I wrote at that time. I like story songs. Kids in America was a story in its own way yeah. uh, of a very strong girl who was going out for a night out, and Cambodia was um, a very obvious song about a pilot who was getting too deep, got into something too deep, yeah. um, you know, with a CIA or America, you know, and, and uh, paid the price. But I, I, to to write it was was a pleasure. It was a um, I wanted to get a, just just a, I wanted to get the the song to have a kind of um, a fear the the fear of what it was like the the kind of intensity of that war and the fear that there must have been there to suddenly disappear in in a you know a, in a haze of, of mist and. And jungle, you know, and, hmm. and bullets, and God knows what else. And I tried to get that across in the song. It was that it was, um, you know, that the, the girl would never see his face again. It was, it was, he was in too deep. He was working for the CIA. <laughs>
it's nice that this box set and your material as well as Kim's material broadly, broadly are in the, the same sort of back catalogue, so it's kind of a nice tie. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm thrilled for Kim and I'm, I'm thrilled for myself because I think the box set has... Uh, uh, you know, in, in life, you know, you... You have things that work out and things that don't work out. Yeah. You know, it's like songs. You know, songs that you think should have been big hits for somebody. Uh, I mean, if I'd have sent, if we'd have sent uh, "Love Me, Love My Dog" to Glenn Campbell, it would have been number one in America. Yeah. And we didn't. We, you know, Pete did it. We never thought of even sending it to Glenn Campbell. And if we'd have done "I'm a Tiger" with Nancy Sinatra, that would have been a world hit as well. Mm. Uh, with uh, "Well, I'm a Tiger" would have been a world hit. Um, these things happen, you know, and so sometimes, um, the things get just right. And I think the box set is just right. The front, the cover is great. Uh, the, in, in, inside the research, yeah. uh, was done admirably well. And, and I think some of the songs, obviously that, you know, you can't have all great songs on a box set like that. A lot of them were exploratory songs. Some were, were tongue in cheek songs. But they all kind of were leading up to something which finally did evolve, um, you know, with, with for hits for me, you know. But it was it's almost like, um, it's, you know, you, you can see the growth in, in my career and what I was doing. I found, looking at it myself, as I said at the beginning when we started to talk, I never realized I'd written so much mm. and or something so important. <laughs> they played important parts in my life. Yes, yes. And you mentioned this before. You've um, you've recorded a new album. So is that is that coming out later this year? Yeah, it's going to come out roughly September, October. It's it's all self penned. And Eddie, one of the tracks which is on Dreamboats and Petticoats, and all and also on the anthology. Yes. The demo of Eddie is on the anthology. The real record, I think. I think the I think it's on the anthology. Eddie, is it? I think um, I'm not 100 percent sure of that. Is it on Joyce? No, maybe it's not. Originally, though, the, the, the demo of Eddie was going to be on there because there is a demo of it. Um, so, um, yeah, the new the, the new album will, will, has got Eddie, um, which was on Dreamboats and Petticoats, and um, it, it's it's got uh, all, all self penned material. Most of it's self penned, although Cambodia's on it. My own version of Cambodia. I wanted to do a different version of it, yeah. and so, but it, and love me, love my dogs on it as well. Okay. So, but I'm very proud of the album. It's I, I think it's the best album I've ever cut. So, we'll see what the public think. Eddie and Jean came to England. Here on a tour that would keep alive their names Rock and roll needed heroes So out on the road they came One of them would lose a good friend And one of them never would see his home again But the devil was sure about The night that car went out Taking it And traveling on to the cities 
Knocking them dead every time they hit the stage Standing out in the spotlight Oh, what a sound they make People were lost in their music Now everyone could see how it should be But the time was moving fast This journey wouldn't last Eddie, can you hear me calling? If I shout your name out to the stars Oh, and if we had the chance to talk again Would you play me your guitar? I still hear it, I still hear it Oh, I know those songs so well There was no one quite like you, Eddie, I know The legends couldn't tell All too soon it was over And all too soon it would pass but the question still remains And there's one that I must ask Why should his young life be taken? Why take a life that had so much more to give? And when I found the answer Faded its head in shame I'm left with my memories And I go back to a time I used to know And although that time is gone Some things remain so strong Eddie, can you hear me call ya? If I shout your name out to the stars chance to talk again Would you play me your guitar I still hear it I still hear it Oh, I know those songs so well There was no one quite like you, Eddie, I know But the time is moving on and I must go So good night Eddie Maybe to close we could um, we could play a track that um that maybe I haven't asked you about that you could choose. Um, are, are there any are there any songs from the box set that that you you think um, we could play that that we haven't kind of covered? Uh, yeah, you could play. Um, 
I love you. There's this track, I, a song I, I wrote called "I Love You." Ah, yes. I just think it's um, it's one of my favourite songs that I've written. Strangely enough, it wasn't a hit, and it wasn't put out. I don't think as a hit. I'm not sure, but um, I, I just love it as a, a, a really lazy, laid-back country song. So you could play that; would be great. Brilliant. Well, let's finish on "I Love You," which is uh, from disc three of the "A Lifetime in Music" 1957 to 2019 Marty Wild box set out uh, now on RPM Cherry Red. Thank you so much for your time, Marty. You know, listening to the body of your work across these four discs shows that the range and breadth of your material and um, why you are still having hit records all these years later. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you, you, wait, till you, hear the, you <laughs> wait till you hear the album that comes out in September. Brilliant. That's, that will hit you like a ton of bricks. That's one of the best singers, hey. And I, I, I am happy with the... I'm, I'm thrilled to bits with the anthology. Yeah. And I'm thrilled to bits with what's going to come out at the end of the year. So I'm very happy, man. And thank you for, for being so interested and so kind to me. Thank you. No, it's, um, it's, it's well-deserved and uh, it's brilliant to talk to you. And uh, I hope everyone goes out and, and buys the box set and your forthcoming uh, brilliant solo album. So thank you. All right, thank you. Cheers then. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah take all the best to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's been almost 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.